Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission for this podcast is to ask chief business officers to reflect on their careers, share personal examples of the ways they have navigated challenging situations, and offer some lessons that they've learned from their experience as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and I'm very excited to be joined today by Sherry Newcomb, who's Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer at the Queensborough Community College campus of the City University of New York. Welcome, Sherry. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. We're going to jump right into the big questions today, Sherry. So I wonder if you could share with our listeners what issues you think will most impact the way colleges and universities conduct business in the next 10 years. Well, first of all, I would say that we shouldn't lump all colleges and universities together when answering that question. I mean, there are a lot, there's a lot of diversity among institutions and even in the community college sector where I now am, uh, you know, the Carnegie, Carnegie has six different classifications for community colleges. So there's a lot of diversity, um, across our institutions that would impact that answer. But generally, I would say, that the inability to adapt to changing circumstances is probably what will, what I think will impact um, colleges in the public sector, at least most significantly, um, including community colleges such as where I uh, now serve. Can you talk a little bit more about that in terms of the inability to adapt? It almost seems like community colleges are a little bit better positioned to adapt. Well, it's a an elaborate pos- uh, process to uh, change curriculum, for example, and introduce new programs and sunset old programs and, you know, change uh, pedagogical approaches. You know, it takes a long time and there's a lot of, you know, there are decades in invested in the way things operate now. Um, there are lots of constraints around um scheduling and faculty resources and things like that. So I think that um, those specific things are a real challenge for many institutions. So again, I would say inability to adapt, um, if not impossibility in some cases. And everybody is uh, speaking with a sense of urgency now. And, um, you know, these things just don't happen very fast. And sometimes you have to wait for a crisis to be able to capitalize on that crisis rather than, you know, deal with it in a proactive manner as you, you know, may recognize as better or the preferred approach. Sure. Do you feel like you're going to see a lot of that in the next 10 years in terms of crises driving change at the university level? Well, I I do. I mean, I do think that um, the trend for decreasing um, the decreasing population of of college age students, um, of course, is something everyone's well aware of, and the um, diminution of public support in the in the in terms of funding has been a trend that's gone on for a long time. So, you know, there gets to be a point where, you know, you're really 
looking at whether you can viably operate. And sometimes until you're right up against that wall, you know, certain actions that you need to take just don't come on the table. How do you think current CBOs can best prepare or develop the next generation of higher education leadership, and particularly when you consider the growing desire to really diversify the field? The first thing I like to think about, and I always try to remind myself uh, where I was when I see other, when I'm seeing other people earlier in their careers, I try to think of myself um, at those moments. Um, I do that with my nieces and nephews too. I mean, I, I try to remember what was I like when I was 22 years old, you know, that kind of thing. And I yeah. do that with, with yeah. um, my colleagues too. You know, I try to think when I see um, someone maybe presenting an idea that, you know, I can tell needs some work, but, you know, I want to be very encouraging and, you know, encourage uh new ideas and um and and risk taking and things like that and i think but i think generally overall and this has sort of become my mantra over the last few years is i just would tell everybody in higher education who really wants to make a difference and make it their career you know to focus on student success to really think about students mm-hmm. um in my career as a business officer you know, primarily as a business officer. In my current portfolio, I've I've had academic affairs reporting to me and student affairs reporting to me. But when I, when I started out in budget and then moved to become a chief financial officer, I wasn't thinking of students first and foremost. Certainly, you can't work in a higher education environment and not be inspired and dedicated to students. But to really thinking about how you can help students be successful, I think, is another whole um, area. And that's really what I, you know, just in terms of a big general statement, you know, if you're if you're really trying to understand what's happening with your students, what barriers they face, what kinds of um, interventions and practices you might be able to employ or assist in in helping students be successful that a lot of the other problems you might see as problems end up you know it ends up as a pathway to helping you solve other things that you need to solve and ultimately it impacts the bottom line of an institution sherry what have you found to be the best way to do that to really stay in touch with the students i've just always involved myself in um the overall institutional strategic planning um, I I meet directly. I have for years. I've met directly with department chairs individually, and I've gotten involved with them and look hearing from them. What are your issues? I think again because my background, my initiation into higher education was in budget. In budget, you're really touching every operation, and I think if you're doing it well, you're really trying to learn about what that. Uh, department or unit needs to be successful. So you begin to hear the challenges. And then as you, you know, put those pieces together across the institution, some themes emerge. And, you know, one of the themes is, you know, student um, persistence or student retention. And as you begin to understand that better, you realize really everyone at this institution has a role to play. Um, in student success, and you need to 
you know, be open to that and look for that. Look for look for learning opportunities to become engaged in those things. It might be, you know, in a Title V grant your institution might be writing or a new initiative um, that is designed to increase retention. You know, get involved with those things. Understand what's happening, what the problems are, what the potential solutions are, and then, you know, adapt and keep learning accordingly. Let's talk a little bit now, Sherry, not only to our CBO listeners, but also to any listeners who might be considering a CBO role as their next career move. What would you say the top three skills or attributes are most crucial for CBOs in today's higher ed landscape and potentially just looking forward as well? You know, my answer to that, if I'm just going to name three things and I can elaborate a bit, but sure. You know, one is um, emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. and I don't. That's certainly not even a, a term that was in use when I started my career. Um, certainly, we all think about our technical competencies, and I think there's a tendency in CBOs to think about technical competencies, such as accounting competencies, and those are very important. But I think. Emotional intelligence is more important than technical competency because I think you can learn technical competency if you have the skills to be open to learning and to experiencing new things and um, understanding others. Um, I also think curiosity is extremely important. You know, you can't just sit in your corner and do your work that has been given to you. You have to ask questions about it, about how the institution operates, you know, why you're doing something. So I think curiosity is important. And then, you know, finally, I'm just going to go back to what I talked about just a moment ago, and that is to have a student success focus. I, I think that that is a game changer for CBOs. Others may not agree, but um, that's, I, I believe that very strongly. Do you have any stories that stand out when you think about how you may have developed some of those skills over the course of your career? Well, I think one story I would tell is just um, in the um, implementation of uh, a new ERP system many years ago, uh, which was a, you know, is, is always a difficult effort, a complex effort. And this was part of a multi um, campus system implementation of a new ERP system. And um, my campus was the Vanguard campus, meaning we were, you know, sort of the first ones to go, the canary in the coal mine, if you will, in implementation of the new system. And uh, I was the executive sponsor for that implementation at my campus. And so in performing that role, fulfilling that role, of course, you know, you're working with um, all kinds of uh, offices across the institution. And even though those approaches, and this is another whole topic that I won't get started on, are very siloed in terms of working with, you know, the registrar's office to implement the things they need to do and working with the bursar's office to implement the things they need to do. Even though they're siloed, you could really see, gain a perspective across the institution. You know, I gained a perspective very rapidly that just meshed with all my 
across institutional work and budget and finance all those years. And I think really um, helped me to gain a broad understanding operationally of how uh, the place really works. And I think you, the only way I've, I've, I've ever known to how to uh, work on projects is really to immerse myself and to get into the weeds and the operational details. And, you know, I have a lot of curiosity. I also have, uh, you know, I, I love to serve. I love to help, you know, other units be successful in what they're trying to accomplish. And so, um, you know, I've just tried to learn and not to confine myself to what I've been told to do. I mean, more than once in my career, I've been asked to write my own job description. Um, I've written position papers on topics that were arguably outside of my um, lane, if you will. And I've um, I've developed initiatives for the president to consider that, again, were outside of my lane, but were things I saw, you know, from a, a perspective looking across the institution. So, I think don't be afraid to, um, you know, advance your ideas and really think as broadly as possible and learn as much as possible about the entire uh, college or university that you're working at. Sherry, in every higher education institution, the role of the CBO is a little unique. So could you tell us a little bit about what you feel makes your role at your campus special or different from other CBO roles? Well, technically, I'm not a CBO anymore. You know, I'm not the chief business officer anymore. I'm chief operating mm-hmm. officer. So my role is quite different um, in, in that respect from when I was a CBO. But I think at, a, at this particular college and going back to when I was the CBO here, um, what I observed when I came here, because I served for 20 years at a public comprehensive institution, uh, Cal State Fullerton in California, and I was chief financial officer there for 10 of those years. And I also served, um, I started my career and went back for a second time uh, later in my career at a public land grant institution in my home state. So I've, and now I'm at a community college in the in the in New York City, so you know I've been in Southern California, New York City, and then in South Dakota, where I grew up uh, on a farm, and I've had a lot of diverse experiences across those institutions. But I would say, at Queensboro Community College, what I learned was because we had this very, you know, lean operating environment and a very close community environment, even though we're an institution of approximately 15,000 students, um, just nobody had time for turf wars or being in silos and things like that. And you, you know, you realize how at different institutions, those things vary, but I really had the opportunity to work and I still do, you know, to work horizontally, you know, across the institution. And that's what really motivates me. And that was something I, um, experienced, uh, at Queensboro to a greater degree than other places. Although I did work a lot that way at Cal State Fullerton too, because, you know, you can imagine over the 20 years I was there, that institution was dramatically transformed. And, um, and so there were a lot of opportunities to just work on everything as we were, you know, we grew from about 14,000 students to 35,000 students in those, in those 20 years. And there was a lot of, there were a lot of things going on. And I, I really feel like I was involved in everything. 
in those days as well. That's great. And that's quite the diversity of experience to uh, South Dakota to New York City. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now the question of the show that everyone loves to answer. Thinking back on your time as a CBO, can you tell us what you would consider to be your most fabulous failure, or maybe just a lesson learned that and maybe what you learned from it that others could potentially learn as well? I really don't believe that mistakes are failures. So I'm going to change the language a Indeed. little bit. Please you know? take liberties with that. <laughs> um, I, I really believe that you have to take calculated risks. And you're, if you do that, you're going to make mistakes and then you need to learn from the mistakes. I mean, early in my career, I would say naturally I lacked that perspective. But, you know, as I look back, I can really see how I learned more from my mistakes than I did from my successes. And that, you know, continues to be true today. I think that um, what I see that I think is unfortunate is people are so averse to making mistakes. And I think you miss a lot of opportunities that way. You know, and if you do make a mistake, I think you need to, you know, persevere and not be afraid. You need to learn and go forward and be aware that you might make mistakes again. Now, some environments don't tolerate mistakes, and I think those environments are not healthy, frankly. Um, And, you know, I realize that, you know, mistakes can be pretty consequential, but if you're, you know, working in good faith on transformative initiatives and operating initiatives that will help improve the institution, you know, your heart's in the right place. You're not in it for yourself. You're in it for the institution, for the students of the institution, you know, to support the faculty of the institution that, you know, your mistakes will be received in good faith. And, you know, you have to just continue on doing your best. Um, I, I can just give, I guess, one example, you know, early in my career when central office auditors would come in and and develop these audit programs and they would dust off compliance memos from maybe 20 years before that nobody even knew existed really because they were just sort of forgotten and all of a sudden they'd come out with an audit program that would say well this memo written in 1966 says you you know <laughs> that you that these are the things this is what the current um or what the policy is, and, you know, you're not in compliance with it. And, you know, I used to get so irritated at that. And, uh, but I realized, you know, that many times there were substantive things and reasons for those policies. And a lot of times those policies were sunsetted as part of the audit process too, as the whole (laughs) system learned. But um, I realized in dealing with those audit findings and clearing them that, you know, wow, I probably learned more (laughs) in this way than I have in any other way in in many respects. So, you know, I just think being um, open to learning and and not afraid and keep your heart in the right place is, is the thing to do. Amazing, Sherry. Well, thank you so much for sharing just a few of your insights and a little bit of your experience with our listeners today. Sure. I'm happy to. You can find out more about Sherry and today's episode by visiting the education section, then click podcasts of nakubo.org. Make sure you also subscribe to CBO Speaks and Apple Podcasts so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Sherry and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. Mm-hmm.